Welcome in to a new Buff Stampede Radio out of Mustard Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Did a collaborative podcast with Brian Howell from the Boulder Daily Camera, which is coming up next. And on March 22nd, I'm going to be doing another collaborative podcast with the guys from DNVR, Ryan Konigsberg and Jake Schwanitz. You guys can come down there and actually watch the podcast if you get to the DNVR bar in Denver at 4 p.m. And then we're going to do kind of a meet and greet and and just kind of hang out with fans here for a little bit. I know that folks on BuffStampede.com have been wanting to have an opportunity to get together and share some of the excitement that's happening right now with the Coach Prime era in Boulder. Let's get to our sponsor and then into the podcast with Brian Howell. Today's episode of Buff Stampede Radio is brought to us by Macaulay Capital Fractional CFO Services. If you're running a successful small to medium-sized business, you have an impressive set of skills. But as your company grows, you face new and different challenges. When you eclipse $3 million in revenue, you likely have a whole new set of financial challenges. Are you looking for financial guidance and support, but don't have the resources to hire a full-time CFO? Well, we have a solution for you. Hire a fractional CFO from Macaulay Capital. A fractional CFO can work with businesses on a part-time basis, providing the same expertise as a full-time CFO at a fraction of the cost. You get the benefit of having a seasoned financial expert on your team without the commitment or expense of a full-time hire. They love to help your business thrive by improving its profitability, and eliminating your financial headaches. Get a long-term partner you can trust to help craft your financial strategy. Understand the profitability of each client. Help manage your cash smartly so you can take advantage of rising interest rates and more. It's likely that a partnership with Macaulay Capital will be a win-win situation, meaning that your business will make more money from the guidance of a fractional CFO than the total cost of partnering with Macaulay Capital. For more information or to set up a meeting, visit MacaulayCapital.com or email CFO at MacaulayCapital.com. That's M-C-C-A-U-L-E-Y Capital.com. I'm Adam Tiger from BuffStampede.com. I'm Brian Howell from BuffZone.com. Brian, we've done these collaborative podcasts in the past and they've been well received. It's been a while since I've seen you. I saw you at one of the press conferences for the new coaches, but uh, I'm used to it during the season. We see each other almost every day. Yeah, you know, and I, I missed the second one because I was in Las Vegas for uh, the women's basketball tournament. But yeah, I've only seen you once or twice since uh, uh, you know since I think since Coach Prime was hired. You know, so yeah, yeah it's been it's been weird. This off season's always weird because we do see each other like. Almost every single day from like August first through, you know, through Thanksgiving, and so yeah, it, it's always weird right after that. So all of a sudden, it's like you don't see these people for a while. Well, usually spring ball is kind of this laid back series of practices where you go out there. There's no games on the schedule, so everybody's in a pretty good mood, and you do a lot of stories on guys that are expected to catapult into a bigger role the, the upcoming season. This year, it almost feels like we're gearing up for a preseason camp just because of all the excitement that's out there. Yeah, it feels way different. And, you know, even just the excitement around the fact that this might be a sold out spring game. I mean, how insane is that for here? You know, uh, we, I don't know about you, but, I, you know, I've seen things about, you know, Nebraska and other places that they have like, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 or more at a spring game. You're like, 
That's insane. I couldn't imagine that. Well, we're going to get that this year. So um, it, it's crazy because all the buildup and, and even all that makes it, I think, more exciting for us. And, you know, I think a lot of times in spring ball, you and I will both write about players that we know are probably not going to make a big impact on the season. But, you know, this, that's the time to, to write about those guys. This year it almost feels like, no, no, we got to write about guys that are, that are brand new that are going to make an impact because – you know, those are those are the exciting guys. Those are the ones that people want to hear about. Totally. And the sports information department's done a good job of taking care of us that have been around. You know, we got to ask the questions at Coach Prime's intro press conference. I'm curious to see what does the press box look like right. during a spring game this year? Because I know that 24-7 Sports is sending out a national writer for this game, whereas, you know, they couldn't have cared less about Colorado spring game in the past, obviously. Yeah, you know, and a lot of times we show up for in the press box for a spring game and, you know, the chairs are still in the same, same yeah. spot as the final home game of the previous year. Uh, you know, it's it smells like it's been sitting there for <laughs> for four, for three, four months. So I, I'm curious if they'll actually, you know, do it up like a an actual game because that's the way it's going to feel. And, you know, it's going to be broadcast. Uh, you know, there was a report at one point ESPN, I don't know, you know that has been confirmed. And when I've asked people at CU, they're like, "Well, it's going to be broadcast by somebody." So we'll see. We know it's going to be at least Pac-12 Network, but uh, there's going to be a lot more interest in this game than ever before. So yeah, I'm curious to see what the press box is like that day as well. And there's going to have to be attrition. We know that to get down to the 85, and they want to get even further below that. Yeah. Coach Prime said uh, on signing day that this is just a pause in terms of talent acquisition. Uh, the one good aspect of the fact, though, that you are kind of in this spot with a lot of returning guys is that you could actually have a traditional spring game, I feel like, for the first time in a long time. Usually going into spring ball, you could look at one or two positions and go, there's no way they're going to be able to pull this off just because of the numbers there. Right. But you've got a lot of bodies, uh, you know, frankly, some guys we could go down the list and pick out certain guys we don't expect to be on the roster come preseason camp. But at least having them around for spring ball is good from a competition standpoint and just a depth standpoint overall. Yeah, and it feels like – I don't know what the number is every spring. I have to go back and look. But of the 85 scholarships, I think there's usually, what, 60 that are here in the spring, something like that. Um, I'm looking at my list now. There's 80 scholarship guys that are here this spring. <laughs> you know, I mean, almost all the transfers – uh, I think all but one or two of the transfers are here already. Some of the high school kids are here. There's only about 15 high school kids or, or, or new recruits that are not here yet. And so, I mean, 80 scholarship guys, you got 30 walk-ons. I mean, you've got 110 guys are going to be competing this spring. So, yeah, you know, I, I get asked, is it actually going to be a spring game? Like, yeah, I think it is because you look at this uh, roster right now and, you know, barring a rash of injuries somewhere, you know, They've got to be able to, I mean, I think they can field two teams. I don't know who's going to quarterback that second team. But, uh, you know, quarterback's probably – it's funny. That's probably the thinnest spot when you look at it this yeah. spring is quarterback. But And we'll get into all that. But, yeah, it is interesting to look at the numbers here and like, wow, there's actually a lot of guys here. You asked – Colorado about the situation at quarterback. Sean Lewis fielded a question from you about their depth there, and he said, we're going to go through this. He's a guy that doesn't want to evaluate a lot of film. That is the position that, of all the positions across the board, there's no doubt about the starter, but there's so many questions about just the depth there. 
Ryan Staub of those true freshmen is one of the guys you really want to key in on because if he can be a quality backup from day one, that alleviates a lot of the pressure. Because I don't know how you go and find a quality transfer when that transfer knows that you're not going to play unless the starter gets hurt. Yeah, and I haven't looked over the transfer portal enough. I mean, to get that guy right now, it's almost got to be someone that has put their name in the portal and there's, they can't find a spot anywhere else. And so they, they take a, a flyer and come to Colorado and knowing that, hey, I'm, I'm an injury away from being able to play, uh, maybe they take that chance. Maybe you can get a guy like that. But um, I don't know how many of those guys are out there because guys that are proven, they land uh, – I almost said jobs. I guess they're sort of jobs. But they, they find spots somewhere if they're a proven quarterback. And so uh, I don't know what they're going to do as far as uh, the depth at quarterback because um, everybody's excited about Shadur. I think – even as, as as good as like Travis Hunter, uh, Cromani McLean, all those uh, you know five star recruits that are coming in, Shadur might be the most intriguing newcomer you know, because he's a quarterback, and so people are very excited about that. But I get nervous when I look at this team and say, "Well, what happens if he goes down?" Yeah, <laughs> because uh, this team, uh, all those expectations and all those things that people are are excited about, could uh, really go out the window if uh, Shadur Sanders isn't playing because. Uh, and no offense to these guys, but I mean, Drew Carter hasn't proven it yet. Ryan Staub is a is a true freshman. We haven't seen it yet. And Case and Wiseman, Case and Wiseman, he's yet. not on campus yeah. yet. So, um, and how often do you see a true freshman that comes in in the summer and is actually ready to play? Um, Owen McCown did it, I guess, this last year, uh, but you don't see that very often. And you know, he did it for a one and eleven team. He didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen often for a winning football team. We have seen some really bad quarterback play. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's putting it lightly. Yeah. It, it's been, I mean, the last two years specifically, and then back in uh, uh, Embry's 2012 with Jordan Webb and that revolving door quarterback. Yeah. Uh, I think that's why folks are so excited about Shador Sanders, not only because he is so talented, but man, folks around here are starved for just competent play out of that position because they have, you know, Steven Montez had it in glimpses, but just never had that consistency with it. Sefo Lufa was a warrior, but he was never a good quarterback. If anything, he played better in games than he probably should have based on what we saw in practice. Right. Uh, Cody Hawkins was, would have been like a seven-on-seven all-star, but when you put Lyman out there, it was a struggle for him. His arm would wear down late in the season. Tyler Hansen had some moments, but – Gosh, all the way back to Coy Detmer, they've got to break that streak in terms of getting a quarterback drafted. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Cepho really, um, he had the, the really nice 2016 season, although he was banged up and missed uh, three or four games in that one, parts of others. Uh, that's where we got to see, you know, Steven Montez shine a little bit. But um, even going into that, I mean, I remember, you know, obviously they were going to try to sign Davis Webb. You know, Mike McIntyre wanted to try to get him because they weren't sure about uh, Cepho. I had a lot of fans back then saying, yeah, Cepho's done. I'm, I'm done seeing him. I want to see Davis Webb. I want yeah. to see somebody else. So people were were done with Cepho in a lot of ways after 2015 and, and had seen enough. But then he had the great 2016. And you're right, Steven Montez. Uh, I like Steven. I thought he was a really good player. Uh, but again, from his very first start at Oregon to his very last start, was there much difference? There wasn't a whole lot of a better quarterback. And it's been Coy Detmer. He was the last one drafted. Uh, and I think the, he might have been the last one to actually play. 
I guess you can count Philip Lindsay, who lined up at quarterback as a Wildcat quarterback for the Broncos. But I think Coy was the last uh, CU quarterback to actually play in a game in the NFL. Yeah, I can't refute that. You know, Montez was said to go in to a game. Yeah. And uh, who was the quarterback <laughs> at the time that had a miraculous recovery there? Was that Taylor Heineke? Is but, that his name? Yeah. I can't remember. So I think you might be right there. Um, so, well, yeah, they're starved. The CU fans are starved. They yeah. want somebody that's going to come in here and bring excitement, especially, like you said, after the last two years. Um, Shadour threw 40 touchdown passes at Jackson State this last year. CU as a team has thrown 20 in the last two years combined. You know, And that seems like a high number when you think about this offense and, like, where when did those come? Because <laughs> it's hard to remember those 20 touchdown passes. What were your thoughts on Sean Lewis? He, he definitely uh, speaks like he wants his offense to go quick, and he got, gets his point out. Uh, he did say he was a journalism major in yeah. college, so uh, interesting to see how he's going to kind of handle the media here going forward. Well, journalism major, so he knows how to you know speak that way a little bit. He's also been a head coach, so he knows how to you know speak without saying anything. And so you know you got a little bit of that, and uh, so he's he's well versed in coach speak. But you know, I, really, um, and I could say this probably about most of the staff is that I love the energy that they bring in. Uh, we thought the same thing a year ago, though. Yeah. Um, there was a there was really good energy with that staff that Carl Durrell brought in a year ago, um, but. I'm not going to hold that against these guys because it didn't work out last year. I like Sean Lewis's energy. I'm intrigued by the offense he's going to bring in here. Now, they sputtered a little bit last year at Kent State, but they were still one of the top offenses in the MAC. And so I look forward to seeing what he actually does. And um, he's got one of those offenses that I think people initially think, man, they're going to throw the ball all over the place. Well, they're pretty – Balanced. I mean, they. I mean, half their yards come from uh, running the ball. So I'm excited to see how they uh, they use the running backs. How they're going to use Shadour in this passing game. Um, I think it'll be a fun offense. Yeah, and uh, to your point there, I kind of don't want to say this because then people aren't going to read our stuff. But those intro press conferences, they don't really matter at the end of the day, <laughs> right? I think when. Carl Durrell got hired, put his staff together. We were doing Zoom back then because it was still kind of in COVID. Mitch Rodrigue was the guy that we were kind of talking about afterwards, right? Just his personality, his one-liners. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, don't put a whole lot of stock in that. Read it because I think it's good to just kind of get their overall philosophy. and You get to know them a little bit. A little bit, yeah. yeah. But in terms of whether or not they're going to be successful, I mean, the first coach that leaves – this Deion Sanders staff in Boulder is probably not the guy we would have put money on if we were expecting a coach to leave, right? Patrick Hill. So right. uh, you just don't quite know. Although if you look at his resume, you might have put money on it because <laughs> he's been a lot of places, lot but of places, I, I didn't. Yeah. yeah. That, that was one when he got hired that uh, you, you could look at his resume and go, what, what are you doing here? But then yeah. you talk to folks out in LSU and they spoke him up uh, to be a guy that that's really a rising star in this profession. So, yeah, and, and to your point, I mean, I, I get asked all the time, like, what do you think of this staff? Like, is this an upgrade? Like, I don't know. I mean, uh, again, we go back to last year, and I thought, and I think you shared this uh, this thought, but, like, in, in my opinion, I'm like, all right, Carl Drill finally has his staff in place, and this looks like a better staff. I thought last year's staff was a big upgrade over what Carl had the first two years here, uh, but then you look at the results are 1-11. and 11. That doesn't mean those guys can't coach, but – the fans look at it and say, well, those guys are terrible coaches because they're 1-11. and 11. 
And so that's the same as this staff. I mean, how good is this staff? I don't know. But if they're 6-6 six and six and they're a much better football team or 7-5, 8-4, you're going to say, man, this staff is incredible. If they well, win three games – well, they're, they're obviously an upgrade from a recruiting standpoint, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that. Now, they can use the fact that Deion Sanders is the head coach as mm-hmm. a big part of their sales pitch when they go out there to recruit. That helps. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty clear that that's where the upgrade is initially. And then uh, you know, maybe this staff in Boulder last year would have been quite a bit better had they actually had the talent, you know, right. to coach up to be better than 111. So that's where if somebody asked me, what do you think about the staff? You start there that, well, they're going to bring in a lot better talent than anything we've seen yeah. in Boulder in a very, very long time. I didn't cover the program back in the heyday. So this is all uncharted territory from a coverage standpoint. Yeah, That part, and there's going to be busts in here. There's going to be guys that were four-star transfers that – don't play up in you know three star transfers that play better uh, right. it's inexact science but by and large you can tell that uh, this is going to be the most competitive team we've seen from a talent standpoint um, 16 wasn't I mean defensively they were but yeah. I, I can't compare it to anything else we've covered at CU yeah and, and even offensively uh they were at least exciting to watch in 2016. I mean, um, Philip Lindsay had a great year, and you know, Sefo uh, and Steven at times had some some really nice games, and they were thrown to some receivers that were at least fun to watch. Shea yeah. Fields and you know uh, Devin Ross, Bryce Bobo. So uh, they had some some good guys, but yeah, I think this will be outside of 2016. You know, this has got to be the best year. You know, and 2016 won 10 games. I'm not expecting this team to win 10 games, but. Uh, but you're right. I think that this is probably the most competitive team that we've seen. Um, you've been covering a, a couple of years longer than I have, but at least since I've been here, this is going to be the most competitive team. Yeah. Let's. We talked about quarterback. Let's talk about running back. Gary Harrell did mention Deion Smith and Anthony Hankerson by name. So he seems to be one of those coaches that maybe turned on the tape a little bit to, to see yeah. what these guys can do. Yeah. You know, and. I'm glad he mentioned those guys because, you know, I think that there's a general perception, and I know we're talking about running back. I'm going to say something in general real quick, but there's this general perception that, you know, all the newcomers are going to take all the starting spots and all the top two spots. And, you know, I believe that there's a lot of guys that are returning that they're going to get elevated by this, you know, and that they're going to be motivated by, you know, Deion Sanders coming in. And I think sometimes when you're in a program that is struggling to win, you get complacent a little bit. And sometimes when somebody like Deion Sanders comes in and, um, you know, Maurice Sims and, you know, all these different coaches that are kind of firing you up a little bit, we could see a different level of player in somebody like a Deion Smith, Anthony Hankerson. Both those guys had some moments last year, by the way, you know. Um, I think we could see a different level from, you know, a lot of different guys that are coming back from this year. But running back to me is one of those intriguing spots because uh, it's mostly – returning guys you know and there's a couple really intriguing newcomers but Deion Smith Anthony Hankerson I love the way Anthony runs you know and I when I watched him last year I thought boy that guy's gonna be you know a, a future starter here and potential thousand yard back now when you bring in Dylan Edwards and you know um I don't even know how to say the guy's name uh, Cavosier Cavosier Smoke, Cavosier yeah. Smoke um, who's who won't be here this spring but um when you bring in guys like that, how much will Anthony or Dion play? 
They're going to have to earn it, but at least this spring, uh, you know, you look at Deion Smith, you look at Hankerson, you look at Dylan Edwards, and you say, wow, okay, there's some talent here. And then Victor Venn was a freshman last year that people were excited about, and and Jaylee Stacks is a guy, I'll be interested to see how he fits in this offense, but he had some moments last year as well. So I look at this group and say, that's a pretty good running back group. I thought Jay Lee Stacks would, uh, was at his best a couple years ago before he got sick in the middle of the season. Yeah. In those short yard situations, if you keyed in on him, him as just kind of a traditional fullback was putting some really nice blocks out there that led yeah. to some touchdowns. I think that with him trying to shed a little weight and become more of a you know all-around type back, I don't know if that really suits him in terms of playing at this level. Yeah. Now, I think Jaylee Stacks could go down to uh, FCS or even you know group of five and, and maybe be that traditional running back. Yeah. I just don't know if that's in the cards for him at this level. So I'm anxious to see how they see him fitting in. If he's in a traditional tailback role this spring, I got to think that maybe he's a guy that would move on in, in order to get an opportunity. Uh, because if, right. if you weren't going to get a lot of carries – this past season, it's going to be hard going forward because uh, obviously they were banged up quite a bit at tailback this last year. I, I think back to the Oregon State game, there was a stretch there where Jay Lee Stacks was running pretty well, right? And then they put him on the sideline and he got cold from that point. Uh, yeah. That didn't make a whole lot of sense, but I don't think that he's a lead back or even a number two guy at this level. Yeah, and and he's one of those guys that, um, and there's several guys on this roster that you look at and. The writing is going to be on the wall in the spring, right? And to your point, you know, when you've got Cavosier smoke coming in in this in the summer, you got Dylan Edwards here, who's a four-star speedster. You've got Deion Smith and Anthony Hankerson who are coming back. Um, you, you you probably look at that, and if you're fourth or fifth on the depth chart at the end of this spring, before smoke even gets here, then you probably got to look at things and say, if I want to play and run the football somewhere, maybe it is time to move on and. Uh, some guys actually, you know, they like to. They just like the the school, and they want to stay and finish their degree, and uh, and that's great for them. But I, and I don't know what Jaylee's thinking, but um, I agree with you. He's one of those guys you look at and say, maybe he could be one of those guys that moves on at the end of this year. But with or without him, you know, I think that this is a really good running back group. Hopefully, Victor Venn is. This off season's Jarek Broussard, a guy that people were excited about when he came in. Then got hurt. People forgot about him. Yeah. And then had a great rise. I mean, that's a lot to put on Victor Venn. <laughs> Broussard ended up being the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year in 2020. But there was a moment, I want to say preseason camp, they led us into one of the scrimmages. Remember where Victor Venn got out on a screen pass? And you, you got to see a little yeah. bit of why he was pretty highly regarded coming out of Georgia. was part of some record-breaking four-by-one relay teams there in Georgia as well. So he's definitely got the speed to play at this level. Yeah, and obviously played at, at a high school, you know, Buford High School that is one of the best in Georgia, you know. And there's actually three or four buffs uh, from that team that are uh, that are on this team right now, so including the new kicker. But, um, yeah, you know, Victor Venn obviously can play at a high level. Um, I'll just be interested to see. He's one of those guys that's probably been a forgotten guy, that uh, you how know, quick is that? I mean, he was a true freshman. Last I know year. he just got here, and you know, but he's one of those guys. I think because of people are so excited about Dylan Edwards and Cavosier Smoke coming in, um, they've seen Deion Smith, Anthony Hankerson. They almost forget about a Victor Venn, but I look at a guy like that and say he could be one of the more intriguing guys this spring. 
At receiver, this is one where there's probably going to have to be a little bit of movement, especially when you consider they are now, you know, bringing in Xavier Weaver as well to compete there. Yeah. Montana Lamonius Craig has got a great personality. We've gotten to know him a little bit. It's fun to see him in some of these videos that are out there now with Coach Prime and his son that he's already kind of worked his way into being one of the, the more prominent guys on those videos. Yeah, and actually he's, you know, he was at, uh, there was that uh, men's, women's uh, doubleheader a couple weeks ago, and uh, he showed up with uh, Shadur Sanders, you know, the two of them. So, you know, he's, he's becoming, uh, you know, friends with, uh, with, the, with the quarterback, which is huge. So um, He's such a smart, smart young man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's smart in a lot of ways, right? But, uh, you know, Montana, I think he's a really good player, and he is a smart guy. And he knows, hey, if I'm going to play here, I better get to know the quarterback. And uh, so uh, there, that's a, this is another spot that, like, I think people are so excited about the guys coming in. Don't forget about some of these guys that are coming back because Montana hasn't put up the big numbers yet. Um, he had the you know the game winning catch against Cal, which was an, an awesome moment. He had a big game there, uh, but hasn't had the probably hasn't done as much as I thought he would at this point. But I don't know how much of that is on him and how much of it is the fact that the quarterback play has been absolutely atrocious for a couple of years. So. Um, I don't judge him too much on his numbers. I think he's got great potential. And clearly, if he's one of the guys at this point, you know, as far as the quarterback's concerned, he's a guy to watch out for. Jimmy Horn has got some wheels. Yeah. That's, you've got to take these one-on-one videos with a grain of salt because you go out to a practice, and I remember Keenan Canty was like this way back in the day. One-on-one, seven-on-sevens, there wasn't a better receiver in the country. You, you throw the pads on, you get physical, it looks a little different. But yeah. the way Jimmy Horn comes off the line, that just looks different. Yeah. And the big difference between uh, Jimmy Horn and Keeney Canty is that Jimmy's done it in games. True. At least. Yep. <laughs> um, so, and yeah, he's coming from a team that was 1 and 11 last year as well. So, uh, but he put up some good numbers last year at South Florida. Their number two receiver, Xavier Weaver, was number one. So uh, it's funny, their, their top two receivers are coming here. But, uh, you gotta love him. He's another one that he shows up in the videos a lot. You know, he he's uh, he's definitely you know one of the guys. So um, the quarterback knows him, and, uh, and it looks like he's friends with him as well. So those two guys this spring are probably going to be the top two guys because Jordan Tyson will not participate this spring. Uh, you know, Ty Robinson, Grant Page, uh, Chase Sell. I don't know if Chase is going to participate. Do you? I don't know that. Obviously, he missed the end of last year, uh, most of last year, with an injury. I don't know if he's healthy yet or not. I love his potential. Yeah, I think he's going to be a really good player here, but I just don't know if he's available this spring or not. You've got Assad Wasim that's yep. an early enrollee that's going to be on campus. With Jordan Tyson, when that happened, Mike Sanford made it seem that he might not be ready for the start of the 2023 season. We haven't got any definitive timeline right. since then. I think with him, setting your expectations would be anything you can kind of get out of him next year would be uh, you, you take that. I don't think you can expect him to be necessarily a starter for them this coming season. No, I wouldn't think so. I, I, I don't remember what his total numbers were, but I think if he can match his total numbers from last year, that's a pretty good year for him, uh, especially if he misses games, obviously. But um, anything more than that, I think you, you get excited about him. But you know, when you look at if Montana's healthy, if uh, you know Xavier Weaver's healthy, if Jimmy Horner healthy, 
that to me is your top three guys. Um, and then if you throw in a healthy Jordan Tyson in there, now maybe that changes because I think Jordan's really good. But um, I think that right now I would say the top three guys, not knowing what Jordan's status is, probably Montana and then the two South Florida guys. At tight end, it's kind of similar to quarterback. You know who the top guy is there, and mm-hmm. it's a newcomer. Yep. The rest of that, though, there's going to be some attrition there. Yeah, there has to be. And there's a lot of guys that were on this team last year that didn't play a whole lot last year. And so, and they're young guys. They've got a lot of time left. And But uh, Sedu Treor is a guy that uh, I'm excited about. He's one of the more intriguing newcomers to me. I don't know about you, but uh, there was, I think, six tight ends in the country last year that caught 50 passes, and he was one of them. And I know it's at Arkansas State, but still – you know, that's a lot of production and, mm-hmm. and a guy that's still very raw. I mean, he was, a like, a soccer goalie, right, yeah. just a few mm-hmm. years ago in, in England. And so um, he's still learning football. And uh, he's another one of these guys that keeps showing up in the videos. He's very popular, yeah. you know, in, in these videos. So they like him a lot. Um, and beyond that, Caleb Fourier. Has, if he can stay healthy, yeah, yeah. He, he can play at this level. We've seen enough from him. Yes. He just he can't. He hasn't been able to stay healthy yet. Yeah, and I think he is right now. Um, you know, we'll see. But and, and I, I like Eric Olson. I like his potential. I think he had some good moments last year, um, I, and he's still a very young player. So I think he can be in that mix as well. You hope that that Caleb is healthy, but and and actually Austin Smith is a guy that. You know, he had the one, I think it was his only catch last year, wasn't it, at Minnesota, that touchdown? I don't think it was his only catch, but it was his biggest one. Yeah, it was his biggest one, and he didn't catch many other besides that. But um, he's one that, in this offense, you know, kind of that that more athletic type of tight end, sort of like Sadu Traor is, that maybe Austin Smith finds a better role in this offense than in the previous offense. Yeah. Elijah Yelverton is a guy to mention here, too. He was a blue-chip recruit coming out of high school, actually played for Deion Sanders and Andre Hart and, and Kevin Mathis there in Texas, went to Notre Dame mm-hmm. and uh, initially medically retired, but something happened there where he must have you know, started to feel quite a bit better physically and joins the Buffs as a, as a walk-on here. Yeah. And uh, he's a guy that – I've heard you know he's got a chance to have a pretty big role on this team going forward. Yeah, and obviously, when the guys that coached you when you were you were young want you here, that says something. And especially with this staff, because we've seen this staff is very loyal to their guys, and and uh, or I will say that you know once you've played for them and you've earned their trust, they'll stick with you. He's done, Elijah's clearly done something. Um, to earn their trust to where they want him around. And so you have to look at him as a guy that you know is potentially a factor on this offense. On the O-line, a lot of bodies, a lot of new bodies, five transfers on campus for spring ball, and then another transfer expected to come in this summer. I like Bill O'Boyle. Something about <laughs> just the his mannerisms and kind of how straightforward he is, but also really you could tell he knows what he's talking about. Um, there are a lot of great coaches that, whether it's connections or just not getting that opportunity, coach at lower levels of football um, until they get out there and prove it. It's a wait and see. But I like what I see from him in some of these offensive linemen that he's bringing in. Jack Wilty is a guy that was a second-team junior college All-American that yep. a little bit under the radar, but I, I think that's a guy that's going to come in and, and start pretty early on. Yeah, and – 
Bill O'Boyle, if you were to like draw up what an offensive line coach looks like and sounds like, it'd be Bill O'Boyle, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, he, he fits that that mold, and so so we'll see if he can coach. He certainly has a lot of pieces, like you mentioned, and uh, I mean, there's three returning starters from this team. That I know it was a bad offensive line, uh, but Van Wells was a pretty good player last year, uh, and Jared Christian Lichtenhan and uh, um, Jake Wiley both I thought got better last year. So there's three returning starters, and then you bring in I think five guys that you know started at their previous college, and uh, and not only started but there were award winners. I mean Tyler Brown was a um, you know an FCS All American at Jackson State. Uh, you look at you know Jack Wilty who you mentioned was a junior college uh, was it all conference or all American second team junior co- college yeah. all American and then Isaiah Jada was first team yeah so you have two JUCO all Americans you have Savion Washington who was a full time starter at Kent State and and played for O'Boyle and Sean Lewis so when those guys want you here yeah you know, that says something as well so I mean Savion's going to have a starting spot right you know when your O line coach and your offensive coordinator want you to come here. They're bringing you in here to start, not to give you an opportunity to compete. That's a, that's a starter. Savion Washington, I think you could almost put in pen, to your point. Yeah. Starting at one of the tackle spots. He yep. was right tackle at Kent State last year. I don't know if you can quite say pen with Van Wells, but maybe pencil at this point. And then I, I like Jack Wilty as a dark horse guy, but Tyler Brown, you got to feel pretty good about him. I probably pen him in somewhere, yeah. yeah. Beyond that, you know, you've got guys that uh, have shown a little bit here and there. Jared Lichtenhan of the returning guys is the one that intrigues me the most. Yeah, I agree with you because he he went from not really playing a whole lot to you know earning a starting role. It wasn't even at the start of the year; it was sometime in September, wasn't it? it wasn't it three or four games in he took over, and you know you could you could say whether he played well or not, but I mean it was his first time starting. And he is intriguing, tallest player in CU history, <laughs> you know. And you know he's a guy that is still getting better. He's still got a couple years left of eligibility. That you know, you have to love his ability and his potential to get even better. And so I agree with you. Um, I think Jake Wiley uh, is it. I think he got better last year, but he's still one of those guys that you know, you you need better out of the tackle position than you got really from both those guys. But I see more upside in Jared uh, than I do with Jake. On the D-line, Sal Sanzeri takes over there. They haven't done the official announcement. I would imagine that probably just has to deal with the background search at this point. Yeah, I think so. It's it's pretty much a done deal. I mean, unless there's any hiccups, but I don't know why there would be at this point. And, I mean, he's he's worked for a number of years and yeah. <laughs> had no issues. And on paper, and this is no shot at Patrick Hill, he wasn't around long enough for us to really get to know him that well. But yeah. in terms of resume, this looks like an upgrade initially. Yeah. When I you mean, look at it. You know, Patrick Hill um, had never been an on-field coach at, at the at the Division One level, I don't think, and certainly not Power Five. Now you get Sal Sanceri, who's not only coached at Alabama the last several years, but he's coached in the NFL. You know, he's coached for – you know, 35, 40 years. So uh, this is a guy with a ton of experience that, you know, and, you know, he worked with uh, Charles Kelly the last several years. So uh, they know each other very well. There's a working relationship there already. Um, Charles wouldn't bring him in if he didn't trust him and uh, and know what he's doing there. Now, it's interesting that uh, Sal went from an on-the-field position to 
off the field this last year. Uh, Nick Saban had him um, kind of focus, uh, be sort of an analyst with the with the transfer portal. Uh, so, you know, I don't I don't know what that's all about. But Sal obviously has uh, been coaching for a long time and, and been productive. Where do Jalen Sami and Naeem Rodman fit in going forward? I, I'm not expecting you to have the answer here, but I think right. that is a pretty big question going into spring practices. Well, I, I've always put you – know, I think Jalen's always been ahead of Naeem. You know, I like Naeem, but um, I look at the additions that they've made on the defensive line, and they're intriguing. You know, Leonard Payne was not even a starter at Fresno State, you know, and – you know, he's a huge body and I think has a lot of potential, but was was not even a starter at a Mountain West school. Um, you know, Taj Alston at West Virginia had a good year, um, but, you know, smaller guy, more of probably a, um, an end type of guy. Um, you know, Shane Koch's kind of the same thing. I think Jalen Sami is a starter on this team. I think he's, when you look at the interior defensive lineman, um, to me, he's their best interior defensive lineman. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I, to me, Jalen's an NFL type of player. I think that he was on his he's on that path, and uh, you know I think that last year he had a pretty good year. He just you know he's part of a defense that really struggled, but I don't think it was totally on him. I think um, uh, to me he's an NFL guy, and I think he's a starter. A couple of years ago, they had an Ivy League transfer on defense, a safety. I want to say Payne was his last name. Yeah, Pine. Pine. Yeah. And you heard really early on during the spring winter and conditioning program that uh, that wasn't he wasn't going to factor in there wasn't going to have much of a role. I've heard the opposite with Shane Cokes. Yeah, that he came in looking like a power five guy, really hungry. Um, he's drawn more buzz in that group than anybody I've heard this off season. Yeah, and then one guy coming off of last year, I heard you know the coaches were starting to get pretty excited about Aaron Austin's potential as well. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, Pine, by the way, is uh, is the older brother of Drew Pine, the former Notre Dame quarterback who's now at Arizona State. So, um, so yeah, the Pine family's been around a while. But I don't remember the, the, the kid who was here. Brendan, maybe? Brendan, Brendan? Pine? I can't remember. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, Shane Cox is a guy that uh, I think is intriguing. Uh, you know, he looks the part and, uh, you know, had the production at Dartmouth and um, – I think it's an interesting group there. I, I do think that Jalen and, and Naeem are, are two of the leaders of that group, though. I think that, you know, you, you throw those guys in there. I like the mix of those two guys and then adding a lot of depth, at least, with uh, with Taj Alston, Leonard Payne, Shane Cokes, guys like that. And, you know, um, you know, your point, Aaron Austin was a guy. The coaches here, you know, started to rave about him at the end of last year. And, you know, they all said that kid's going to be a player. They probably should have redshirted him. I think he was mostly just in on kickoff yeah. coverage, which was kind of fun to see a big defense alignment in that responsibility. Right. But, uh, maybe it would be nice to have that uh, redshirt used there. At the edge, Jordan Dominic is the guy that stands out here, just from a guy that's proven it mm-hmm. in two different Power Five conferences. But Jeremiah Brown is a guy that, again, you, you try not to let it uh, – take over your impression of who's going to have a big role, but he's very prominent in some of this behind-the-scenes footage we're seeing this this winter. Yeah, and obviously, you know, he's a Jackson State guy, and frankly, a lot of the Jackson State guys have been prominent in the footage because, you know, 
the staff knows these kids, right? Uh, but Jeremiah Brown was highly productive at Jackson State and uh, you know, had a big year for them. Uh, I, look, I love the potential of him, Jordan Dominic, and then Taylor Upshaw you know, had a pretty nice year at Michigan. Uh, there's a ton of talent at Michigan, and, and maybe he shines a little bit more here. I look at the edge right now, and I wasn't super excited about the guys that are coming back. But you look at this is one spot that you're like, whoa. <laughs> there's going to be attrition there. Yeah, there's there's got to be. I do want to write the story of one of these guys, though, really showing up this spring, having a great spring, and we get to write a fun story in, in August. But there's a few guys here that probably aren't back in the program, right? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, just because I think those guys we're talking about, I mean, Jordan, Taylor, and Jeremiah, I mean, to me, those are your three edge rushers. And, you know, we have not seen – I mean, Carson Wells obviously was very good – on the edge, not a ton of sacks, but a lot of TFLs. Uh, but really, outside outside of Jimmy Gilbert, when was the last time there was a lot He's of sacks? He's the last one. I yeah. mean, and Jimmy was really good. You know, uh, he had over ten sacks, I believe, in 2016. Uh, but yeah, he was the last one, and, and really before him, uh, it's hard to uh, Abraham Wright. <laughs> Abraham Wright. I mean, Chidera, um, you know, got a good amount of sacks, but you know. At least since 2016, there's been nobody since Jimmy Gilbert that's really uh, had much production as far as sacks. CU sacked the quarterback less than any, less than any other team. I Nine think they, times in 12 games. Yeah, in the country last year. And, I mean, there was <laughs> – I remember writing this when, uh, um, when Upshaw and – I think it was Dominic. When those two guys – I think they committed right the same day or right about the same time. It was one of them was in the middle of the night because I yeah didn't get to writing that story until the next morning. Yeah, and I think it was like the same day or the same it was back to yep. back something mm-hmm. like that. But um, those two combined had more sacks last year than CU as an entire team. So yeah, they need some production on the edge. Those three guys to me um, are three of the more impactful guys on this team. At linebacker, Vonta Bentley is a guy that. Looks the part. Yeah. First off the bus type of guy. And he was very productive in the time that he played there at Clemson. CU staff thinks that he's got NFL draft potential. He just got to be a guy that puts it all together. And they kind of need him to. There's some nice pieces here, but he's the one that you point to and go, "You, this is the one guy that has, I think, all conference potential in this group. Yeah, you know, and was not a starter at Clemson, but we're talking about Clemson here, you know, and – They've been one of the better defenses in the country for a number of years. You look at his amount of snaps and the production with those snaps, and he would have been one of the best players on CU's defense. I mean, his tackles per snap is pretty high. Um, his, t- his TFLs, the the impact plays that he made in just a – I think it was only 400-something snaps he played at Clemson, which for perspective, there's about 700 snaps on defense in a season. So not even a full season's worth – uh, in his time at Clemson, but you know a high number of tackles, and and you look at uh, you know the rest of his linebacker group. They lost all three starters from linebacker last year, and the only really newcomer, as far as experience, is Levante Bentley. Bentley. So, to me, that's another one that you can almost pen in as a starter, and then you kind of fill in around him. I don't know who starts around him. Yeah, I mean Demoy Kennedy. Given his history with Charles Kelly, we were talking. You were talking earlier about, hey, if this guy, if this coach has experience coaching this player yeah. and decides to bring him in as a transfer, th- that tells you a little something there, right? And I forgot about him because I'm only looking at my spring roster. He's not here this spring, but yeah. yeah. In terms of 
returning guys, I could see Aubrey Smith impressing this coaching staff. You know, they're coming from Jackson State and kind of a history down there in SEC, the, the South. Those are the, the kind of those athletes that you that you see in those conferences. And as he yeah. continues to mature physically, I think Aubrey Smith is a keeper in this program. Maybe not a starter this coming year, but I could see him stepping into a starting role in 2024 and going forward. Yeah, and another one that I like is is Owen Carey. Is it? You know, he's a guy that only played really special teams last year, but uh, you know, actually, you know, we got a chance to talk to him a couple times at the end of the last year. He's the best interview on the team. Yeah, he's a very well spoken young man, and uh, from at least from what I can tell, all in on being a buff. And you know, I, I think that there's a lot of potential with Owen Carey. Um, you know, Marvin Ham's been here a while. Um, he's showing up in a lot of these uh, workout videos, and so he's to me. Marvin Ham is one of those guys that you know, sort of like uh, oh my gosh, I'm totally blanking on the, the guy's name, Akil Jones. You know that you know was here for a long time, and you thought, is he ever going to do anything? And then all of a sudden, just finally at the end, was a pretty productive and uh, a pretty productive player and a starter. That to me could be Marvin Ham. You know, a guy that finally puts it together in year four or five. And uh, is a productive player. Um, I think he's a top candidate for that. So I, th- I think Marvin Ham is going to be a factor at linebacker. Cornerback. When is the last time we've talked about a position group at CU that had this much talent on it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, well, well, uh, twenty sixteen, the secondary, the secondary, yeah. I mean that that group obviously you know, but he, but going into sixteen, we were doing the spring ball preview that year. Yeah, we wouldn't have projected those guys to be as good as we expect these cornerbacks to be. Probably as far as hype, there's been some times where we've talked about receivers, but they didn't match it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously when Lavisca was there, you looked at some of the receivers and said, "Man, that group is is awesome." But it was really outside of Lavisca, like how good was it really? Uh, you look at this group now and like Travis Hunter, Cormani McLean. I mean. These are the top two corners in, in each of the last two classes, and you know I, w- I went back and looked, and I think out of the last nine, I mean, so you look at the last nine, and a couple of them are still in college, but there's a lot of first-round draft picks uh, that come out of the number one corner in the country, and one of them being you know Pat Sertan of the Broncos, that you know is one of the best defensive players in, in the NFL right now. So, yeah, if <laughs> if these guys can be anywhere close to that, the Buffs have got two pretty good corners. Nico Reed yeah. is competing. You yeah. can see that. that. That's good to see. Tavion Beasley was probably going to start at Jackson State. He was pretty highly regarded coming out mm-hmm. of St. John Bosco. Kendrick Breedlove was almost slated to start last year at Ole Miss in the SEC until he had a hand injury. Jason Oliver, Simeon Harris, Joshua Wiggins, those are young, talented guys that – I don't think all of those guys are going to still be back in the program, but you know, there's a lot of talent within that group. Um, yeah, even Keyshawn Mills is a is a bigger corner. And then you know, Nigel Bethel is still here. Um, I'd be curious to see what he does. He's a guy that hasn't played a ton, but when he's played, he's looked pretty good. You know, and I think it was twenty was it twenty one. He was playing really well at that nickel spot, and then he had the the knee injury yep. and went out. And last year. Never really, you know, got into the mix as much as probably he wanted. But um, he's a guy that he's one of those guys that I, if he wants to start, he probably ought to go somewhere else. 
But if he wants to, but he could potentially have a role and be a nice, uh, you know, depth piece here at corner. But yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of focus on Hunter and Cormani McLean. But then you're right. You you look at you know Tavion Beasley, Kendrick Breedlove, and you know people better not sleep on Nico Reed because you know I know people are penciling in, penciling in Travis Hunter and Cormani McLean, possibly even Deion Sanders is doing that. But uh, but Nico Reed's a pretty good player, and I don't put it past him to to win a win a starting job here. At safety, you've got a, a similar deal to a lot of positions. You've got these newcomers, Miles Slusher, that played at Arkansas in the SEC, was one of their better players when healthy last year. Cameron Silman Craig started at Jackson State, comes in, and now you've got Trevor Woods returning, and I thought he was probably their best defensive player last year. You know, I think Josh Chandler Samito had some really nice moments, but he also had some gaffes you yeah. know, in terms of responsibilities. And Trevor Woods wasn't perfect, but I thought like I could count on him more than I could any other defensive player from just a consistency standpoint. As long as he wasn't getting a targeting penalty. <laughs> which, he only got thrown out for one. Yeah, he which, got one reversed, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you, you have to love the way he plays. And, you know, you're right um, – I would probably say, I mean, I, I think I had Josh as my defensive MVP last year, but you could argue Trevor Woods, you know, because, you know, Josh Chandler's right in the middle of that defense that was gashed uh, so much for uh, for those rushing yards. So not, not that it's all on him, but um, safety is very intriguing because, you know, Cameron Silman Craig comes in here. He was a very productive player for this coaching staff at Jackson State. So they love him. Miles Slusher, as you mentioned, you know, has been a starter in the SEC, you know, and then you got Trevor Woods, who, uh, you know, to me is an all-conference type of player uh, in the Pac-12. So there's only two safety spots, uh, you know, traditionally, and so who starts there? And then, you know, you have guys that have experience. I mean, Tyrone Taylor was a full-time starter this last year. Jeremy Mack played a lot of football this last year. Um, you know, Dylan Dixon from the 2022 class was one of my favorite guys and a guy that maybe not this year, but I still think that kid's going to compete. And then Jaden Milner-Jones is one that another young kid that looks the part that you have to be excited about. And there's some guy named Shiloh Sanders that is going to join this group too. (laughs) Sort of lurking. He's living in Boulder but not quite here yet. So, um, yeah, (laughs) It's it's a very intriguing spot. Depth for the first time in a really long time at the safety position. How many times last year? Especially you. I know. Did you talk about, I'm so concerned about the depth at safety, you know, and it showed up a lot, but I mean. Uh, I really like Brett Maxey. Yeah. Cool as a cucumber, just <laughs> got a good personality. He came to us preseason camp midway through with his glasses on, his shades on. And I asked him, are you concerned about the depth at safety? And he started rattling off walk on after walk on after walk on. Um, he wasn't concerned about it, but but I was. Yeah. Well, and no offense, kids are walk-ons for reasons a lot of times, right? But yeah, when you're in fall camp and and you start rattling off the walk-ons as why you're not concerned, that's a concern, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so yeah, I mean, we mentioned it a lot, you know, the depth of safety last year. Barring injury, I don't think we're going to be talking about uh, the concern about the depth of safety this year. Carl Durrell deserves. Quite a bit of criticism. The one thing you have to point out, though, Brian, is that he 
no matter what type of charisma he showed on the recruiting trail, couldn't have recruited like this from the portal last yeah. year. So he was coaching, recruiting with one arm tied behind his back. And so that, that needs to be mentioned here. Yep. Now, did they had they not had those restrictions? No, they would not have landed the number one ranked transfer class the way that Deion Sanders has. We, right. we, we know that, but uh, it needs to be mentioned that, you know, as much as I harped on the safety thing, I, I know that they evaluated some guys and they were denied, you know, in terms of the academic approval. So right. um, there, that was part of it as well, that, that, you know, I think it's easy to pile on this last staff, but you do need to mention certain things like the fact that they weren't able to bring in talent the way that they necessarily wanted to right and you know speaking of overall talent i mean we've talked a lot lot about uh some of these young guys that carl Durrell recruited there's some good young talent here that i think is intriguing you know we talked about um you know aubrey smith and you know uh aaron austin and um you know dylan dixon and anthony hankerson guys like that these are guys that this staff brought in this old staff brought in that uh, give them some credit because they were not terrible recruiters. You know, they were just, I do think they were, you know, restricted, you know, in that transfer portal, but they brought in some some good young high school talent. Yeah, I mean, I flat out had people in that building say that short of Nick Saban coming here, and, unless these restrictions are taken care of, yeah. you just can't compete right. in college football nowadays. Uh, so credit to CU Brass and, and Rick George for finally, you know, kind of hearing those cries and, and making a change there because it's the reason that Colorado football has a chance to possibly make a bowl game. I'm not predicting that at this point, but yeah. that's given them at least a chance to compete in this conference. And frankly, you know, <laughs> you know we talk a lot about Carl, Carl Durrell, good or bad, and, you know, you and I you both like Carl, but frankly, had Carl raised more of a stink about the, tr- the transfer thing, this might have been fixed sooner but he didn't you know and you know so you have to point a little bit of the finger at him and say why didn't you bring it up (laughs) why didn't you uh you know make more of an issue of it you know when you were here and that could have changed maybe saved his job and you know now CU fans I know are happier with the way things are now but you know had he maybe brought that up a year before maybe they could have fixed things now I know it was fast-tracked you know, when you bring in Dion Sanders and like, <laughs> you, you know, you're bringing in Dion and, you know, you see the writing on the wall like, oh, we got to be able to get his sons in here <laughs> and, you know, his other players from Jackson State. But um, the previous coaching staff could have made a bigger deal out of it and didn't. To your point, though, it probably doesn't land with them hiring Dion Sanders because I think it was kind of a perfect storm in terms of where. Colorado was going 1-11, becoming this national embarrassment, this laughingstock, to have a president get involved as much as he did in terms of kind of helping secure this. And then also being willing to say, Coach Prime, you can come in here and take this program over. And he's walking through the halls changing Things. I don't think a lot of programs would have been comfortable with Deion Sanders coming in there and having as much influence as Colorado was willing to give him, again, because of how bad things got. Yeah, and and I know from talking to, um, you know, Rick George, uh, Phil DeStefano, I chatted with Phil last week in Las Vegas. Uh, he was out there for the women's tournament um, talking to them. They're surprised by how big of an impact he's made. Uh, you know, they knew it was – uh, they both uh, have told me, hey, I, I knew it was a transformational hire, 
but I did not know it was going to be like this. And so they're stunned even by, uh, you know, the amount of impact that he's making. And, you know, I made the made the point to Phil when I talked to him last week. I said, there's not a program in this country that needed a jolt like Colorado did. And they, they got one. And, and, you know, to your point, uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of programs that are kind of set in how they do it. And you bring in the coach and they're this is how we do it, coach. Here's but you got a little leash. But Deion Sanders, <laughs> CU has nothing to hang its hat on, you know, other than 1990, which was a very long time ago. And so I'm not trying to put down the program, but I mean, the last 15 years, CU has nothing to hang its hat on. And so you bring in Deion Sanders and say, do whatever you want, man, <laughs> you know, whatever you need. And, you know, if your office needs to, you know, get brand new carpet and paint and, you know, we need to put make the recruiting lounge more like a, a nightclub, then, well, whatever you need, man. <laughs> let's, let's get this done. It sure seems to be working so far. Yeah. They have not played a game yet, but yeah, you have to find a way to connect with guys that you're recruiting, yeah. and there's no one in the country that's better at doing that than, than Deion Sanders. Well, and, and you know, Rick George told me, I was asking about all these changes, like the office and everything, and he said, he said look, he was – I, we need him to be comfortable. <laughs> Whatever makes Dion comfortable. If he needs, you know, uh, some of the lights and you know different carpet and all that stuff, then we'll do it. You know, he needs Dion Sanders to be comfortable. I'm sure in your personal life, I get ten times more questions just from people that could have cared less about CU football. Oh. And you know, I'm in the gym having conversations with people now. That that this was not happening, you know, six months ago. Oh, I, I mean. This is the third or fourth year that my son has played uh, youth basketball over at the um, this church over here in, in Frederick, and uh, I go there all the time. And for the last two, three years, you know, nobody ever says anything to me. I go there now. Uh, his season just ended, but every time I'd show up during a season, I'd say, "Hey, is Coach Prime going to come talk to these kids?" You know, and things yeah. like that. And like, how's everything going in Boulder? And you know, just random people that like. What? <laughs> I don't even know who you are. You know, some people I, I, I do know, but all of a sudden they want to talk to me. And, you know, it's not me that's more popular. It's, you know, we're an extension of uh, Coach Prime, and I, I guess uh, they want to find out what's going on. But, yeah, the, the reverberation of, you know, everywhere is insane. I do have to put it out there, though, that we don't get free tickets. Because right. I'm getting hit up for tickets now. Yeah. Again, things that just never happened before all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, the other day, I'm going to get the mail, and a neighbor asked me if I can hook him up with tickets. And it's like, <laughs> okay, this is, this is a little bit different now. Yeah. Uh, no free tickets. Uh, can't get you autographed gear, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, just enjoy the ride. But we can give you analysis. And right. We're going to do that beginning March 19th. <laughs> I guess they're starting on a Sunday this year, which is new. Yeah, that is new, and uh, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to navigate that because uh, the women go to the, the NCAA tournament and uh, could potentially be playing on that Sunday or Monday and not in Boulder. So I'm trying to figure out how to navigate that. But, you know, it's an intriguing thing. Uh, spring ball is going to be more interesting than ever before, that's for sure. But starting on a Sunday is, is definitely new. We have not had that before. We've never, I don't think we've ever had a practice on a Sunday, let alone starting on a Sunday. Back in the McIntyre days, for one one season, I think they practiced did on they? a Sunday. Yeah, during the season they did. I don't yeah. know if the, I don't know if spring ball they did, but 
But anyway, yeah. yeah. So we have a lunch date that we got to get out to. I'm going to try Georgia Boys Barbecue for the first time. You've recommended it. I'm excited to give it a try. Burnt Ends, I guess, is what uh, you recommend from there? If they have them. You know, they go so fast. So we'll okay. see. But yeah, you got to have the Burnt Ends there. And yeah, there's two Georgia Boys. You know, the one in Longmont is... Uh, is sort of the, the main one, but the one out here in Frederick is, is pretty darn good as well. All right, let's go get some barbecue, and uh, we'll be back touching base, I think probably after every spring practice that we're both attending because uh, there's a lot of eyeballs, a lot of interest in the CU program, exciting times, and so Brian and I will be coming to you all spring. <laughs>